Hello and welcome to Farmland. On today's programme, I will be speaking to President of the Irish Natura Hill Farmers Association, Vincent Roddy, about ANC designations and how the latest cap affects hill and sheep farmers in terms of environmental measures. But first, it's over to Agriland Beef Specialist, Breffney O'Brien, who is speaking to Group Sales Manager with Liffey Mills, Willie Boland, about the efficiency of finishing beef cattle in the current climate. I'm joined in studio now by Liffey Mills Group Sales Manager, Willie Boland. Willie, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Breffney. Thank you. How are grain markets currently looking, Willie? Well, at the moment, Breffney, the grain markets are extremely volatile. And I'd say people with a lot more experience than me would imagine, I'd say, it's the most volatile markets we've had probably since the Second World War. We um, rely a lot on imports in this country. Just to give you a, a rough idea, we probably in the ag industry, we use close on six million tonnes of grains, um, of which maybe three and a half million tonnes of that is imported at least. So... When you see what's happening in Eastern Europe and Russia and Ukraine and how it's having such an effect on everything, it can easily see why the markets are so volatile. Like barley today is 420 euros a tonne. Wheat is slightly higher, maybe 425, 430. I'd say in the history of man, that was never the case. Um, so it's it remaining extremely volatile. But saying that now, the Ukraine seemingly has 20 million tonnes of maize in store. What happens if that gets released? I just read an article yesterday, there's talks of it going by rail into Romania and on into the port in Romania and shipped west from there. So if that happens, who knows? But um, at the moment, it's extremely, extremely volatile. Yeah. So then in the medium to long term, what are the outlook for grain markets? You know, so in the next, say, in the coming years and even into this year? This year's harvest is three to four months away. So it's actually, that's kind of short term. And spot price for barley for this year's harvest at the moment is around 320 euros a tonne green. So that's 20% moisture barley, 320 euros. That's 100 to 110 above 2021's harvest price. So we are looking at a very, very strong short to medium term cereal price for this country and right across the world. Um, if we go to medium to long term and, and into next January and on into this time next year, it's very, very difficult to, to, to know because you have to remember Russia up to 2014 was a net importer of wheat. Since 2014 till last year, they were the largest exporter of wheat. They exported 20 million tonnes of wheat in 2019. So that wheat has to be got from somewhere else if the sanctions in Russia and they don't let that wheat out. Um, so if the thing is resolved in the Ukraine, medium to long term, everything could go back to relatively normal. But if it's not resolved and that remains tight and that wheat, we could see a massive shortage going into this time next year and next and harvest 2023s. So you could see a massive shortage of wheat and feed right across the world and especially Europe. So I suppose a lot of it's still up in the air, like with regards what direction kind of grain markets are going to go. And was anybody, I suppose, expecting what happened in Ukraine, even in the in the grain industry or in grain markets? Not really. Do you remember when they were camped out and they were doing their trials and they never thought they'd, they'd actually invade? Um, people 
even at that time didn't think this was going to happen. Yes, the prices, if you, if you remember, at that time was the fertilizer was talked up and mm. grain was being talked up and it was all down to inflation. They were never really actually talked about being a, a shortage of grain. So um, they couldn't foresee at that time. And that's only, how long is the war going on? Six weeks or eight weeks or whatever. And, and we couldn't see it eight or ten weeks ago. So it's very difficult to see 10 to 12 months time. But it's all dependent on what happens there. I, I just believe, like, there was a, an Irish farmer, an Irish guy who was farming in the Ukraine, was on the radio yesterday morning, and he has his seed and fertilizer planted or sourced for planting in the Ukraine, and he intends to start to plant. Now, if he plants, that's fine. Does he, will, it get, will that crop get to harvest? Who knows? Um, will there be people there to to actually look after the crop. Now, if that crop gets to harvest, and let's say it is being harvested next October, the 20 million tonnes that's in storage already, that has to be released, or else where is the new crop going to be stored? So are we looking at two years crop coming out next November, December? And this year's harvest grain that Ireland, let's say that we buy here, at give or take 300 euros a tonne next harvest, um, if November, December, that 25 million tonnes of maize comes west into Europe from the Ukraine, that could cause a, a, a dip in prices of cereals back home then at that stage, you know. So then, Willie, everything that's going on in the world stage at the moment, how is this translating back to the beef farmer, say, in Ireland and the cost of their ration or even the dairy farmer, for example? Yeah, well, sure. If you look at a beef finishing diet, I suppose, uh, concentrate costs... Um, it's minimum of 30 to 40 percent cereals in that right so if we take a hundred 110 100 at the moment sure current cost of barley is 420 euros a ton so there's a 200 euros rise there at 40 percent of that give or take feed has gone up 100 euros a ton and um, be it dairy feed or beef finishing rations now <clears throat> that has all got to do with the price of cereals but also the byproducts of cereals as i said earlier there's three and a half million tons being imported in the country so it's not just maize but your byproducts of maize like maize distillers soybeans maize gluten so they're protein sources that needs to be incorporated into the feed as well and they have gone up because of the price of the raw material has gone up um so feed concentrate feed has gone up close it has gone up 100 120 euros a ton but i did a little sum myself last night right and i was talking about finishing cattle and today's current beef price versus today's current concentrate price yeah. versus this time last year and if you looked at a small little figure called margin over concentrate cost so if it takes roughly eight kilos of concentrate to put on a kilo of beef so if kilo of beef is worth five euro euro and eight kilos of concentrate at 400 euros a ton is worth uh, three euros 20 so that leaves a margin over concentrate cost of 180 now if we convert this right though go the whole way back 12 months and price of beef is four euro and the price of ration was 300 euros. So eight kilos of ration is 240, and a, to get four euros worth of beef, and leaves a margin of a concentrate cost of 160. So if we look at that this year, we're slightly ahead of where we were last year. Now, the people listening here will say, what about your fertilizer and your diesel and your contractor costs? And absolutely correct. They're eroding the net margin on the animal. But if you're looking at something small like margin over concentrate cost, we are actually slightly ahead this year than we were last year. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that too, because 
obviously while input costs have increased um, returns to beef farmers have gone up as well but the overall net margin may well have yeah yes yeah, exactly yeah. so what would you be recommending are the most cost effective feed options for for farmers finishing cattle well I believe, I think we need to avail and benefit from the current beef price, right? Today, probably, of storing cattle on grass is, is questionable. If you have cattle up near finishing, like 450 to 500 kilos out on grass, I believe to avail and to benefit of the current beef price, and it looks very strong for the foreseeable short-term future anyway, that um, we should be feeding them cattle concentrates. They need to be doing a kilo a day and putting on flesh to try and get them out of the system. Plus the whole idea of trying to finish our animals younger and that sort of thing. So it does benefit to get feed them four kilos of country. I think the younger stock, the, that weanland that you're talking about, um, we need to concentrate there on quality silage. Right, they're out on grass there now, they're a year old. We need to get 150 to 200 kilos weight gain on them on grass. We all know that's the cheapest. And coming into the winter, next winter, I think it's vitally important that we have enough of good quality silage. I mean, 72 DMD silage upwards. We need to minimise, if feed is going to be 450 a tonne next October, we need to minimise the amount of kilos going into them weanlands. Finishing cattle, we all know, needs concentrate to get a finish. But if we have 72, 74 DMD silage with good quality silage, I think we could get away with a 0.8 or a kilo to of concentrate to them weanlands, and they will do their 0.8 or 0.9 of a kilo a day. I think that's the way, and, and how do you make good quality silage? We need to be on the road today because we're making silage in four weeks' time, and I think we have to have our homework done, and that silage needs to be growing out in the fields for that today, you know. So really, like, um, I suppose it's a false economy, in a sense, farmers trying to make bulkier silage and reduce absolutely. their quality mm. because they're going to be paying for it in, in feed costs. Absolutely, cost. absolutely. I remember being at a talk, and... Um, 70, 65 DMD silage is 65% digestible, 35% is not digestible. Do you know, so 35% of what that big bulky pit that you're talking about is not digestible feed. So like we, we have to get a mindset, change our mindset into quality silage, yeah. Completely, and these, PR we leave it grow, we'll spread less fertilizer and we'll leave it grow for two weeks longer. Yeah, it's not cost benefit really, yeah. And what measures then, there's a lot of talk, Willie, obviously about sustainability. Now, maybe that's a lot of that's up in the air this year has become a very difficult year. But what measures are being looked into, I suppose, in your industry to improve sustainability? Now, you have mentioned some of them there with regards uh, improved quality silage and utilising grass. But what other measures are you looking well, at? I think the government, the most obvious one this year is the government scheme to, um, int that they introduced to try and get more grain grown in Ireland. Um, there to give a, a, a 100 or was it 400 euros a hectare payments for any grass land that's converted to cereal grown. That, if we can get any reduction on the 3.5 million tonnes that I talked about earlier that's imported, think about the air miles that we, that's on that 3.5 million tonnes and what effect that's having on the environment. If we could have a percentage of that grown here, an increased percentage of that grown here, it has to be a benefit. And I think that's the big one. Then you have your low emission slurry spreading that I'd say 90% of slurry being spread today is low emission slurry spreading. I think the uh, a huge, I see in, in back in Liffey Mills, there's a huge percentage of protected urea being spread. So uh, I think um, from, and I know in our own back, in our own company back in Ross Gray, we, we use, um, we recycle old pallets for wood chip uh, to heat our offices and to heat the molasses tanks. 
we were upset. We solar panels on the roof that produce an eighty thousand kilowatts of energy a year, um, and we've more solar panels going on to an additional roofs as well. We think that's a massive and it's, it's we simple things like LED lights. We're obsessed with using LED light bulbs. Mm. We intelligent use of machinery and. If you go back from farm level right through co-ops and, and private merchants and meat fashion the whole lot, and if we all just turn off the machines when we're not using them, if we all just turn off the lights when we're not using them, the, I think it's a benefit, and, and I see from low emission slurry spreading to protected area right through to where we are with solar panels and our roofs. It is, we're very conscious as an industry for sustainability in the environment. And I think the agri-industry gets a bit of a raw deal there, but, um, I think we're very, very competent and in how we're looking after it. And I think going forward, that's even going to become more so, if I'm honest. And just back to something you mentioned earlier there, Willie, about um, the grain that's currently in storage in Ukraine. It's interesting that you say while the harvest is going ahead, it's important to remember that that still is in storage and yeah. it's still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't gone anywhere. They weren't fit to move enough by rail. You know, it's not just possible. So the ports of Odessa and where's the other Maripol or whatever, they're, um, they were siege, under siege, so they couldn't have moved from there. Yeah, the, like Ukraine produces 28 million tons of corn every year, 17 million tons of sunflower every year. They, they're the biggest producer of sunflower oil in, in the world. Um, so if we take that, them tonnages, plus what Russia exports, like it's a massive deficit right across Egypt and Turkey. I think Turkey and Egypt were the two biggest grain people that imports grain from, from um, Russia. So they have to get it somewhere else to feed their people. So yeah, that 20 million tons of a, of a production, total production about 28 million tons, so most of it is still there. Um, but there is talks of it coming through Romania, by rail into Romania and then out. And if that happens, who knows? Uh, I could see a, maybe a blip then in the markets. It mightn't happen till next November, December, January, but you could you could see a blip by then, you know. And Willie, is there anything else I suppose you think is important to mention even to beef farmers and with regards finishing cattle and a particular focus on beef finishers? Well, I, I think if you're a sole beef finisher and you're going out to the market to buy the cattle for finishing, your margin has been eroded and it's difficult because price concentrate's gone up and your beef price that you're getting on this side, you're nearly giving it for that store animal on the other side. And that is that is an issue. But if you're a calf to beef producer, that you're rearing that calf right through, I still believe the quicker and the more efficient you are and the quicker you move the animals through the system, the actual you are still the ability to make money. And at the moment, and, and I suppose there's a, the meat industry would have a better idea, but the markets are huge. The markets are huge. I, I, like they're, they're killing big numbers every week, but they're still looking for them every week. So the, the markets out the other side is, is a, well able to cater for the numbers that's going through the system. So I, I, think, I do think that we need to realise that, and I do think we need to avail of the current beef price. While it's there, we do need to keep animals moving through the system. That's why I said about feeding them quicker and moving them on quicker and turning your money quicker. That's the only way I think, I believe, of making money out of it, you know. Willie Boland, thanks very much for joining us Thank in Parliament. Thank you. Thank you. Vincent Roddy from the INHFA, thank you very much for joining us on Farmland today. 
Vincent, can I first start off talking about land designations? Now, I know the association has called for a baseline payment or compensation directly to farmers who have been impacted by land designations. Can you explain this more? Yeah, look, this is a, a big issue for, for our members um, and has been for, for some time. Um, at the moment, just the, the payment rates that's made to farmers, any farmer that gets paid under designations is paid via a, a scheme, uh, and that's been the way since since the designations in the in the mid 1990s. Um, so, so, so those uh, and and we'd have of, often felt that payment that was paying for the management of the designations, but but we're looking to see that the burden uh, of those designations, and there is a clear burden. Uh, involved with those designations, that that must be acknowledged and the state needs to start paying on that. And that burden, uh, Stella, relates to the, uh, the 38 uh, activities requiring consent. So, so when we look at that, farmers uh, on designated land, uh, they have to make considerations as regards farming activity. So if, if they, for example, if they want to top land, they have to actually get permission from the National Parks and Wildlife Services. If they want to spread lime, if they want to spread lime, if they want to spread farmyard manure, if they want to spread chemical fertilizer, anything like that, they have to get permission. If they want to change their stocking rates uh, significantly, uh, you know, if they want to increase or decrease, again, they have to get permission. If they want to change the type of stock that is there, they have to get permission. Uh, and then, obviously, if they're looking at doing anything that will involve uh, digger work or anything like that, then you're not just getting permission from the National Parks and Wildlife Services, you're into the, the full cost of planning permission, uh, and that will involve what they call a neutral impact statement. It's, it's the same as effectively as, as an environmental impact report. Uh, and that's a cost to farmers. So all of those are, are transactional costs that farmers have to consider, um, that farmers on non-designated land don't. So, so, so our, our argument is there's, there's a clear burden there uh, that those farmers have taken on board for the last number of years, for, for 20 odd years now at this stage, and we need to get that recognised. And, and uh, the EU have, have uh, acknowledged that. Uh, I remember when we were out there a number of years ago, they said that they, they estimated the cost of designations to work out at 150 euro per hectare per year. Uh, so, so, so I think that's the minimum, uh, but obviously we need to look at more. And where would this money come from, Vincent? Well, that's, um, that's not really our concern. Uh, I mean, look, some people say cap. Uh, I know others might say, no, look, there's enough being taken out of cap. Uh, I mean, if, 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 the far, if the farmer is expected to deliver on these habitats, then, uh, I mean, I don't think it should be at a cost to them. Uh, so it's up to the state to, to provide that funding, whether that be through cap or, or whatever process. Uh, and obviously it would probably be better if it's in addition to cap. Um, I, I think as well the other the other aspect on that that we've mentioned in, in relation to this is is the impact that designations is having on the valuation of our land. Uh, on that, Stella, we're seeing that uh, designated land definitely is being devalued in comparison to, to comparable land beside it. Uh, you, you're looking at anything from fifty to eighty percent, um, and and that's that's an impact for farmers. Now it's only an impact. Some people say it's only an impact if you're selling. But, but even if you, want to, if you want to borrow on the strength of that land, uh, it's an impact as well. So, so what we are looking for on this is that the state will put in place um, a fund um, so that if, if I sell land uh, that is designated, uh, and let's say the land, non-designated land in the areas is selling for 5,000 euro a hectare and I can only get 1,000, then the state will make up that shortfall of 4,000. Uh, and again, like if, if the designations are, are as important as everyone is saying and, and they, they do maintain that protecting the biodiversity is, is vital, 
Um, it, again, it can't be left on the back of landowners and farmers. Uh, the amount of money that will be needed on that, and we don't expect, would be would be a lot because obviously there isn't an awful lot of land changing. But, but, but I mean, I think it needs to be there. And Vincent, you mentioned biodiversity there. Mm. The EU biodiversity strategy is obviously a European policy, no more than the farm to fork or the Green Deal. It's currently something that every member state will have to implement. Have you heard or how has the progress been going on that in terms of Ireland's implementation of the biodiversity strategy? Great question, Stella. Look, uh, I suppose just firstly to go back, I mean, it was implemented first. Uh, they are, it was implemented, or not implemented, it, it was announced uh, two years ago now, uh, in 2020, the EU biodiversity strategy in conjunction with the, 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 the Farm to Fork. Um, and our understanding, and this was coming from a meeting, and I don't want to misrepresent what the Minister Malcolm Noonan has said, but, but, but our understanding is that we will have to have a details relation to that and proposals around that back with the Commission by the end of this year. Um, now, I mean, we, we have outlined major concerns as regards the EU biodiversity strategy as soon as it was announced, because inside in that, like the, the talk about delivering for, for biodiversity, and everyone is in favour of that. but. But if you look at uh, some of the actions, uh, currently in Ireland, 13% of our land is designated special areas of conservation or special protected areas. Uh, in the EU biodiversity strategy, they're, they're talking about increasing that, every member state, to 30%. Right, so, so I've already outlined the concerns that is there with regard to designation. So, so currently, if, if, if that is implemented, there is a lot of farmers in the country um, who currently have no concept of the impact of a designation who will have to learn fairly rapidly uh, about that impact if we go from the 13 to 30 percent. Uh, and we don't know where that will fall, but uh, I mean, I imagine some of it, you know, will, will obviously fall. There's, there's still some commonage there that, 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 that could be designated. There's still some hillland, but it won't be just there. Uh, in addition to that, we're also looking at the introduction of what they call a strictly protected. This is a new designation type for Ireland, strictly protected. They're talking about a minimum of 10 percent of the EU land base. Uh, and they've outlined where that is to be targeted. They said that that is to be targeted in, in, in the old growth forests in Europe, but also for Ireland, it would be uh, on carbon rich soils. So, so you're, you're talking about your peat soils. And they're saying that, that they want it targeted on these lands. Uh, now, Ireland, uh, and the, what they've also said is that, you know, they're saying 10% of the EU land base, but it could be higher in any country if there's a requirement for it. 20% of Ireland's land is, is peat soils. Uh, now, I'm not on about just bogs that, that we all know about and people are cutting turf on, but we're also on about farm peatlands. Uh, and, and obviously there's a lot of, of, of land uh, farmed and drained out peatlands on lowlands and obviously on, on our hills, uh, there's a lot of farm peatlands there as well. So, so, so they could potentially end up putting another designation on top of designations that are already there. Uh, and when we look at the impact of the SSEs, the Special Areas of Conservation and Special Protected Areas, and the action and the activities around that and, and the restrictive nature of that, um, they're a Category 4 designation. Um, I mean, what we're looking at here with Restrictive Protected, it is what they call a Category 1A, so it's the highest level of designation. If that is applied, where that is applied, you will not be allowed to farm. Uh, you will not be allowed to carry out most activities. And, and it's important to understand, Stella, and I know we're here talking about farming, but, but this is going to impact wider than farming. This will impact into communities. Um, and, and what we will see is basically stagnation of, of, of any place uh, that that is applied. 
Uh, so, so what we are calling for here, because I think this is massively important uh, across rural Ireland, is that this is properly debated in the Doyle before anything goes to Brussels. Because the last designations, the designations that are still causing so many problems, were implemented without any debate in the Arctic. That cannot happen here. Uh, and I think it's important that every TD from rural Ireland, I know they've, they've been up in arms about the turf cut, and understandably so, but, but, but every TD needs to understand this, this is, and I'm not diminishing the, the impact of turf cutting, this is much, much, much more important. Uh, and if we, if we don't get this right, then we are going to see effectively land abandonment uh, of, of, of uh, many parts of rural Ireland. And, and we'll, see, we'll see definitely a massive influx into urban areas uh, and huge swaths of the country where there's no one else. So you mentioned there about the Dáil debating this um, in the future and if this is to be implemented next year or it's to go to Brussels by the end of this year, what would your message be then to the government, to the coalition? Maybe it'll be different parties at the time um, towards the back end of the year. Who knows the way things are going politically at the moment? Is it something that needs to be discussed with all of the stakeholders first? It is, um, and it's something that we, we need to get a full understanding of uh, and where Ireland wants to go with this. Everyone is, is in, look, everyone wants to protect biodiversity, uh, and, and we all get that. But, but it's how we do that. Uh, and if we're going to just steamroll over people, uh, and that's, that, that would be my concern, um, then I mean, where, we, we have to start to wonder where, where we will end up. Um, and it is, it's, it's massively important for, for rural communities um, because, it, as I said, it's not just relating to, to how it's going to impact on farming. And really, if, if, if a strictly protected designation is applied on land, you will not farm it. I mean, you will not be allowed to farm it. You know, the Serengeti in Africa is, 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 I think, it's Category 2 designation. This, as I said, is a Category 1A. So, so it gives you an idea of what we're talking about here. Um, and we need, we need the minister to, to clarify exactly what he means by Category 1A and strictly protected, what, where they see that. Um, I have heard talk um, that they can apply this on state land, um, but there isn't enough state land to, to, to apply it if they want to reach the 10%. Um, so, so that's going to be a concern. And we have to also remember as well that the designations don't just, even though we, we see that the designations are obviously restrictive where they apply, but there is also the buffer zone. So, so uh, even if you don't have land that is designated, you could still be subject to, to the habitat directives under the designations if you're within uh, 15 kilometres of a buffer zone. So if that applies here and strictly protected as well, then I would have major concerns with regard to any infrastructure project that will happen in many parts of Ireland. And when we talk about that, like we, we are talking about roads, we're talking about sewage treatment plants, we're talking about water treatment plants, uh, and obviously the knock-on effect, you know, they're essential services in, in any community. And if we can't progress those and make those happen, then, then you are going to see communities starting to, 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 to fall asunder. Uh, and, and that is how big this is. Uh, and I, you know, the message I would have for all our politicians, especially across rural Ireland, is that we can't be thrown under the bus in this. Uh, and that's not just farmers, that's, that's our rural communities as well. Uh, and I know there'll be people that will say you're scaremongering. Uh, this is not scaremongering. I mean, you know, anyone, I'd encourage anyone to pick up the biodiversity strategy and read it. It's quite clear what they intend. Vincent, I know that your members in the INHFA have had great challenges over the years in trying to farm in areas where there are a myriad of restrictions because they're designated land. 
Um, you're from the West, I'm from the West, and <laughs> we can look at a lot of Connemara and, you know, farmers out there I've spoken to over the years have ha said their hearts are broken trying to abide by all the regulations of special and restricted areas. But can you see the benefits in, in these areas at times of land designation? in terms of what's coming down the track environmentally with the promotion of biodiversity, with you know carbon sequestration. Um, do you think there's an opportunity there for hill farmers or farmers in designated areas to maybe now, I suppose, laud the merits of having this restricted land in terms of what it can do for the environment and for nature? Well, I'd like to think there could be. Uh, however, I mean, when we look even at the CAP proposals uh, and, and around the eco-scheme, we would have we'd have been making a point that, that uh, any land that is designated should automatically qualify because there are those restrictions. But, but uh, our understanding from talking to the department, and we, we take that face value, is that, that they said, well, Brussels wouldn't be willing to entertain that. So, so, so if, if that is the case, then, uh, I mean, we, we, we need a level of honesty uh, around this. So everyone is, uh, as you, you say, and, and uh, will say, well, look, we need to, to ensure that biodiversity is delivered on. But, but the ones, the farmers that are on the ground are the ones that are having to deal with that. And I'd love to think that there would be opportunities here. But, but I mean, we, we should be looking at, um, if, if you're farming on designated land, then obviously that should be included on labelling. Um, I mean, and, and why not? Um, because, uh, but, but I think people need to understand the impact of that and, and the other side of it is most people, even most farmers who don't have designated land, don't understand what it means like and, and you really have to start explaining what special area conservation is and, and, and what, what that involves in special protected areas. Uh, so so there's, a, there's a huge education around that. Uh, I'd like to think that there could be some benefits but, but at the moment I, I don't see any benefits. Ju just the other thing as well with regard to, to the designations uh, and the EU biodiversity strategy and, and the, the increase. They are talking about a budget for that. They're talking about 20 billion across the European Union uh, to, to implement that. But 20 billion across the European Union is, is, is not nearly enough. Uh, and I would, uh, I, I know when we talk about the benefits as well, uh, I mean in the EU uh, nature fitness check, which is referred to in the, in the biodiversity strategy, they, they talk about uh, how much the Natura, that's the, the, the designated network, is delivering to the European economy and they're saying it's delivering between two to three hundred billion euro a year to the, to the economy of the European Union and if you translate that back into Ireland where 1.1% of our land is part of that, is designated as part of the Natura network, that would mean we're delivering two to three thousand, two to three billion euro a year to the Irish economy. But farmers don't see any benefit and, and at the moment you have to look and see like when, when the designations are introduced first Farmers were getting 242 euro a hectare uh, uh, in recognition of that designation through, 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 uh, through reps. They're now getting 79 euro a hectare through gloss. But again, and it comes back to the initial point we made, that this is for the management of it. So there's no recognition of the bargain either. And Vincent, just in relation to the CAP strategic plan, obviously the letter has come back from the European Commission in relation to Ireland's strategic plan. Is there anything that the Irish government now needs to respond to Europe in terms of inclusion in that strategic plan now? What should it have for this designated land or for hill farmers? Well, I, I know I think generally I think there's, there's 230 observations or so, so, something like that. It's 34 pages, so, so I, ha I have it there. 
Um, so, so they have asked for clarity, the Commission have asked for clarity on, on a number of factors. Um, and, and for us, th there are some concerns, especially around the, uh, the eco-scheme, uh, and the, the, the Commission have raised concerns with regard to the extensive grazing measure. And they're saying that like too many farmers would almost qualify here, so, so why are you taking on board? So effectively, they're, they're saying, well, because farmers have been doing the right things, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't pay them. Um, and that's, I think, is, 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 the wrong, is the wrong way to approach it, uh, definitely from the Commission's point of view. So, so we, we, we have concerns around that. It does make reference in the plan to designations being uh, and a payment for designations, but that, they, they do make reference, and our interpretation is that that's subject to the implementation of a strictly protected designation. Uh, so that's, that is cause for concern. Uh, and obviously then, inside of the plan, we are looking at the EY Green Environmental Scheme, the new SEM and um, how that is going to be applied um, and some of that will obviously be applied in designated lands um, but, but, but again um, there, there seems to be well I think at this stage we still need a lot we still need a lot of clarity around that ourselves uh, and I know we'll be, we'll be engaging further with the department on that but um, yeah that's and finally in relation to just touch on ANC's areas of natural constraint the Department of Agriculture changed the criteria last week based on a, a ruling by the European Court of Auditors. So for the ANC um, farmers out there that might be a little confused now as to the maximum eligible area and so on, what would your advice be, Vincent? Well, I think, yeah, there, there was changes. Now, we don't expect it to be a massive issue for, for, for most farmers, uh, but they could for some. Uh, and as you say, yeah, they're, they're changing how you claim, uh, what areas claimed. So it's on, it was on the maximum eligible area, whereas before farmers had to carry the stock and density for the, for, for the area claimed. So if their, if their area claimed is, is a good bit lower than the maximum eligible area, um, then, then uh, they will need to increase stock numbers. Um, but we don't think that that's going to be a, a major, major issue. But I think for every farmer uh, that's applying for ANC, then you should discuss that in depth with your advisor when you're filling that out. And if you've already filled it out, I think it'd be important to go back and ask the advisor again. Vincent Roddy, President of INHFA, thank you for joining us on Farmland today. You're welcome. That's all from Farmland for now. You can stay informed of all the latest agricultural news on agriland.ie or the Agriland app on your smartphone.